Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. There's no word like mom, is there? Mom, mother. It was the first word my kids spoke, except dad. It's because I paid him. I don't know if this happened at your home, but uh, my kids, as soon as my wife would leave the house, they'd go, where's mom? Where's mom? Where's mom? How about asking for dad once in a while, huh? Never, never. My mom and dad were here last night and then uh, first service this morning. It was great having them here. and I love my mom. She's pretty easy to buy for. Just, I, just to renew her subscription every year to a couple magazines. She just, she just loves these magazines. Soldier of Fortune <laughs> and Biker Chick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know why, but she just loves those magazines. Good to have you with us. CrossFit is our current teaching series, Finding Wholeness in a Broken World. True Christianity is the title of this weekend's message. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be looking at two verses, 8 and 9. 8 is a favorite verse of mine. 9 is a pretty good one, too. And so let me uh, see if you can track with me here. I'm going to start off with some logic. See if you can follow this logic. The world was made by a, a God... The world was made by a God who is a community of persons who have loved each other for all eternity, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're familiar with the doctrine of the Trinity, I'm sure. Because the world was made by a triune God, relationships of love are what life is really all about. If the triune God already had perfect, joyful community, then why did he create us? He didn't create us to get joy from us, but to give joy to us. And uh, the more you understand that, I mean, it, it can be revolutionary. You'll begin to understand a little bit more clearly what, what the Christian life is all about. I like what one theologian and writer said, God created human beings because he was so in love with community that he wanted a world full of people to share it with. So here's what we could, uh, we could say this. Uh, the essence of Christianity isn't about rules or rituals or routines, to-do list. Hopefully you didn't come here and this is just part of your to-do list today. But it's all about relationships. And so my question for you would be this. Do you have a relationship with God? Do you understand what that means? Do you understand the implications of this relationship with God? Because, I say that because there's a lot of people who say, oh yeah, I have a relationship with God. I'm a Christian. And yet, when you look at their life, you would question whether or not, uh, indeed, they, they do have a relationship with God. And so, we're going to take a look at this. What does it mean to have a relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with God? Because what's interesting about this is that uh, just because you have signed a card or walked the aisle or said a prayer or got dunked in a tank or was raised in a Christian home or you know a lot about what the Bible says about God or maybe you're even a very moral person, you can have all of these or some of these or one or two of these, but just because you do, it doesn't mean you are a Christian, doesn't mean that you know God. Not a more important question to answer. Do you know God? And to know that you know God, even better. It's pretty, uh, pretty life-changing, pretty transforming. I recently talked with a, a leader from a mega church here in the valley, and it was actually a couple leaders. It was me and one other leader from our church, and, and sat down with him. 
And he was telling us about how they had boasted over the last few years of seeing uh, hundreds of people come to faith. In fact, they, they would boast of anywhere from eight to 900 people a year that would uh, walk the aisle or you know, sign the card or say, yes, I've confessed Jesus as my savior. And then they decided, hey, let's follow up on, on this list. And they followed up and found out that most of these people were no longer walking with the Lord, weren't even attending church, and some of them were even ticked off that they even got a phone call. Isn't that interesting? And we see, uh, we see quite a number of people come to faith here at Desert Breeze. We baptize you know, anywhere from 75 to 100 a year. And, but you can get baptized and still not know God. Our hope is that you, you really know the God that you're, you're identifying with through baptism. And so it's, it's critical that we answer that question and really understand that because nothing more important than to know what it means to be a Christian, true Christianity, thus the title of this weekend's message. In fact, I'm convinced that the best evangelism, the best method of evangelism is a church made up of true Christians because true Christians are amazingly contagious. People that really are walking in vital union with God, there's just something about them. You want what they have. And what they have is, is, a, is a relationship with the, with the creator and the sustainer of the heavens and the earth. So this is the great need of the American church these days, and so that's what we're going to tackle. You can see the notes here. A genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ involves these things. So three major characteristics that we'll look at this morning. And uh, glad you're here. It's a great day. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray, and then we will dive into our text Father God, how priceless is your unfailing love. We are here to feast on the abundance of your house and drink from your river of delights, as stated in Psalm 36, 7 through 8. It is simply irresistibly amazing that we can know you and have an intimate relationship with you because of the indispensable and costly sacrifice of your son, our Savior Jesus. John 17, three says, for this is eternal life to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. There's nothing more important than to know you and know that we know you. So open the eyes of our hearts and show us wonderful things from your word as we get to know you. Maybe there are those that are here today that don't know you. Maybe they could come to know you and help us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of you, our infinite and eternal, great and good God. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text. Let me bring you up to speed. So give you a little, anytime you read a text, you want to know the context. The context is Peter is first-generation Christian, Saul, the resurrected Lord and Savior, and now he's writing to second-generation Christians who didn't get a chance to see him, but they believe in him, they love him, their lives are revolutionized, pretty amazing, and they're under heavy persecution. They're getting the living daylights beat out of them, and so he's wanting to give them the resources that they need so that they can endure the fiery trials of life, but not just survive them, but thrive in them. Because as we have talked about, that the fiery trials of life in which we all face can either turn you into a cinder or make you pure as gold. They can either make you bitter or better. And you need the resources. We looked at those resources last couple of weeks. We talked about the fiery trials, and, and he gives us a lot of resources. But this is perhaps the most important resource, and that's, that's knowing God. So verses 8 and 9 
This is what he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. What's the word there? Inexpressible, filled with glory. And then verse 9, it says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord to us. Just two verses we're looking at. Those verses are packed full. And so a genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ involves uh, three things, trusting him, and then we'll talk about the motivation for that, trusting him, loving him, enjoying him. You see that in, in verse 8, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Let me, uh, let me uh, talk to you a little bit about what, what this is, kind of set it up here. A, all healthy relationships need... Uh, two primary characteristics that will produce joy in that relationship. So if you don't have much joy in your relationships right now, it's probably because they're lacking this mutual giving and receiving of love and truth. So for me and uh, for my wife and I to have a good, healthy relationship, this is true about all relationships. So for my wife and I to have a healthy relationship, she needs to know that I'm listening to her and uh, that I know that she's listening to me. So there's this, and we're speaking truth. And by the way, you need truth uh, to have trust. Would you agree with that? How many have ever had someone kind of lie to you and then that kind of undermines the the ability to trust them? So the greater the truth, the more truth you have, the more trust you're gonna have. And so you gotta have that. There's this giving and receiving of truth to establish trust. And then you also have to have love. I need to know that my wife loves me. So she tells me that. I tell her that I love her, and I show her, and she shows me. And so that's a healthy relationship which should produce joy. That's, that's in the horizontal. Let's talk vertical now. If there isn't consistent mutual sharing of love and truth in your relationship with Christ, you'll eventually lose the joy of your salvation. I mean, it's packed full in this first chapter. This salvation, what we have through Jesus Christ, what he has provided for us, salvation is synonymous with celebration. The more you understand the salvation that you have through Jesus Christ, oh my goodness, the more you're going to go through the ceiling with celebration of all that he has for us. But you're going to lose that joy of your salvation if you're not really in this relationship of mutual giving and receiving of love and truth with God. That's very important. And what will happen is that you'll lose the joy of your salvation and be vulnerable to the trials and temptations of life. You just become overwhelmed with all that's going on around you. You were not meant to do it alone. You were meant to do it with God and have him at the center of your life. So we could say true Christianity is trusting Christ, loving Christ, enjoying Christ. Those are the characteristics. In other words, Christianity is first and foremost a matter of the heart, trust, love, and joy, not a matter of external performances. So if you're preoccupied with, oh, I've got to do these things to be a Christian, Don't focus on the external performances. It's not about doing as much as it's about being. And the doing will flow out of the being. It's who you are, first and foremost. Do you have a relationship with God? And oftentimes, you know, if you don't like what you're doing or how you're living life, you come back to your relationship with God. Do you understand this this interaction that you can have with him, this love and truth interaction with him that will produce unbelievable joy in you so that, man, you're ready to, to take on anything in life. So that's what you get back to. So the, so the doing comes out of the being. It's who you are that determines how you behave and how you will respond to the events of life. So if you're not responding well, you just get back to the relationship. That's what you have to work on. That's what you have to build on. 
And so, here's the first one, trusting him because he is solidly reliable. That's the motivation, because he's solidly reliable. A genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ involves trusting him because he is solidly reliable. Now, you're probably thinking, wait a minute, why'd you say trusting? Didn't it say believe? Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. What's trust have to do with that? Well, actually, that's what that word means, believe. The Greek is to think to be true, confidence or trust. And so when it says believe, it actually means trust. It's another way of using that word. So trusting him because he is solidly reliable. What does that mean, solidly reliable? It means that Jesus is who he said he is, and he came to do what he came to do. He did it. He accomplished it. Well, who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. And what did he come to do? He came to build a bridge that, uh, across the chasm of sin that separated us from God. We, we, we are spiritually alienated until we put our faith in Jesus and we have relationship with the Father. Jesus said in 14.6 of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So what does that mean, the way? He is the way to God. You want a relationship with God? It's through Jesus, it's through sacrificial love. But he's not just the way to God, he's also the truth about God. You wanna understand what God's all about, who God is, read the Gospels. Read the Gospel accounts about Jesus. He's the truth about God, but then he's also the way, the truth, the life. When you put your faith in him, oh my goodness, there is a life that awaits those who, who trust him and love him unlike you have ever experienced before. He is the way, the truth, and the life. A life unlike you've ever experienced before. So how do you, uh, so, so you gotta keep in mind, okay, so we're gonna take communion a little bit later on. When we look at the elements, when you look at the cross, it, it's a reminder of two things, that you and I are more sinful than we ever dared to think. We were so sinful, Jesus had to die for us. But don't stop there, that's just part of the equation, but it also says that you and I are more loved than we ever dared to dream. He loved us so much, he wanted to die for us, and you gotta have that combination working. And so that begins to do something in your heart the more you embrace that and understand that. So here's the question, so how do you embrace that? How do you, how do you put your faith in Jesus? Because we've got verses like James chapter two, verse 19, that says that, yeah, okay, yeah, you believe? Oh yeah, big deal, you believe? The devil believes and even shudders. So what he's saying there is that you can have right doctrine. I bet the devil's doctrine is better than yours. And in fact, he even has an emotional experience. So you can have right doctrine and even an emotional experience and still not be saved, not any better than the devil. Isn't that interesting? So uh, what does that mean? to really embrace God. What does it mean to believe? Well, let me share with you a couple verses that, uh, where that same word is used, trust, Mark 1.15. Jesus said, repent and believe. So he's using this idea of repentance and believe in the same sentence. So he's telling us something a little bit about this belief is that to believe means that we turn our back to, uh, repentance is to turn our back on sin and embrace the Savior. So turn our back on sin. Yeah, yeah, because you know what? You're living for something. Everyone has to live for something, okay? You can't live unless you're living for something. That's just how God wired us up. So what are you living for? What drives your life? What's most important to you? Where do you find your most pleasure? Now, you might not refer to it as this, but whatever it is that you're living for is the Lord of your life. It controls your life. That's why you make the decisions you make. 
And any Lord other than the Lord Jesus Christ is ultimately unforgiving and unfulfilling. Only he can fulfill you and forgive you ultimately in an ultimate way. And so when we say repent and believe, he's saying turn away from your counterfeit gods because only, I am the only God that can satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. So, so there's this turning away from sin and embracing him fully, putting him at the center of your life, making him the delight of your life, the center of your life. Here's another verse also. Uh, they're part of the cross-references there, John 1, 12. It uses that, it's kind of the same idea, but it adds another word. It's really quite fascinating. Maybe you're familiar with this. It says, those who receive him and those who believe in his name, so receiving and believing seem to be synonymous, are, they have been given the right to become children of God. So we become children of God, which the Bible says that before we were children of God, is that we were objects of God's wrath. We were his enemies and objects of his wrath. And now he, he brings us into his family, into his home, and we're his children. And it's through receiving, receiving and believing. So receiving is a part of believing. I'm, I'm embracing him. Okay, there's another uh, verse there too that kind of uses that same word, believe, and it says it's John 6, 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not go hungry, whoever believes in me, same word, believes in me will never thirst. So coming to him, so that's present active indicative, so we come to him, we regularly, we have this interaction, we have a relationship. I'm coming to him and he is the source, spiritually speaking, that satisfies my thirst and my hunger, otherwise I will die of thirst and hunger spiritually. So what in the world are you talking about here, Pastor Ray? Where, where are you headed with this? Well, here's what, I'm, what I want you to understand, and I think that you put all that together is, uh, is that obviously it's more than just having right doctrine or having an emotional experience. It's really, uh, it's really embracing him fully, making him at the center of your life. And probably one of the best illustrations I can give you here is just uh, now with kids, one of the places we enjoy... Uh, at least for a week in the summer when it's really, really hot here, probably in August, we'd like to go over to San Diego and uh, we hang out and walk the beach. And when my kids were small, and now I get to do this with my grandkids, they're, they're just like my kids, you know, they're just so funny because they get way too close to the ocean. You gotta keep your eyes on them. And they're so small, they're too big for their britches, they really think that they can uh, get really close to the waves. But you know as a parent, if you don't keep your eyes on them, then one of those waves will sneak up on them and undercurrent will just drag them right down and take them right out. And uh, it can be quite frightening. And so uh, I would never let that happen to any of my kids or grandkids. Now, Nancy, on the other uh, side of the thing, she, uh, she's so neglectful and just lets those kids just know I'm kidding. But, uh, but um, she watches them better than I watch them, actually. But, but there have been a few occasions where we're out there walking, the kid wants to kind of break away. I don't need you. I don't need you, Grandpa. I don't need you. Okay, have at it. Hey, watch this. Uh, and sure enough, one of those waves will just knock them down. And so you kind of position yourself just in the nick of time. You pull them up, they're choking on salt water. And, uh, and believe me, they are not fighting you. They are clinging to you. I think that's a perfect illustration of what faith is, is that when you begin to get in touch with reality, here's reality. All of us, apart from Christ, are being swept out into the ocean of sin. And the undercurrent of sin will knock us off our feet sooner or later. And we will realize that we are desperate. And the only one that can save us is the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and sure enough, in the nick of time, he swoops up 
swoops us up into his arms and we cling to him. See, if you're not clinging to him, if you're not desperate for him, it's because you're out of touch with reality. You've got too much pride, maybe unbelief, pride, and idolatry working in your life. It's just a matter of time. It's a matter of time you'll go, oh my goodness, I do need him. I do need him. And you will run to him and you will cling to him. And that's, that's the idea there. Take a look at this uh, couple fill in the blanks here. So it is more than agreement with facts in the head. It's an appetite for God in the heart that exceeds all other appetites. That's part of that. So I'm kind of mixing metaphors here a bit, but uh, kind of that bread of life. Man, you, you just want him. You've never been more satisfied. You've just never been more satisfied. Uh, he becomes the center of your life. And here's the next point. There is a mutual giving and receiving of truth because you need, you need truth to have trust. I gave you some verses there. You can look up on your own, really talk about this friendship relationship with God. So let me ask you this as it relates to this. So if you actually have a relationship with God, you've entered into this relationship with God that Jesus Christ has provided, there will be this mutual giving and receiving of, of truth. So when you talk to God, when you pray... Do you have a sense that he hears you? You know in your heart he's listening to you and he loves you and he cares about you? How many of you have ever tried to talk to somebody and you knew they were not listening to you? And you'd even said, okay, you're not listening to me. Yes, I am. Okay, repeat back to me what I just said. And they can't. But I was listening. No, you weren't. Because you didn't even repeat back to me what I just said. Every, uh, every couple out there knows that one, huh? And there's just something about that. You can just talk until you're blue in the face, and then, you know, it's just like uh, nobody, they're not even listening. And it kind of makes you feel like, ah, I'm not very important to them, am I? It is so critical that you know he hears you, he listens to you. And the more you live in the reality of that, the more it begins to get down in your heart, and the more you're going to talk to him. He knows everything about you. He loves you. He can't take his eyes off of you. Psalm 139 makes that pretty clear. The thoughts that he thinks about you outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. Psalm 139. So you got to know that. you got to know that in your heart. Otherwise, you're not going to be spending much time praying because you're just going to go through the motions, kind of checkbox, you know, check off list, kind of routine, ritual. You know, it's just all about a set of rules. No, it's about a relationship. It's about an interaction with God. And he hears me, and I hear him. What was the last thing that he has been saying to you of late? He talks to us. He primarily talks to us through the word, but God talks to me through circumstances. He talks to me through my wife, and I hate that. <laughs> Boy, he talks to me really loud and clear through her. It's unbelievable. It's like, oh, gee, you're right on. I hear it. Man. So he's speaking to you. He loves you. He's pursuing you. So as you have this interaction, so, so what is he wanting to do in your life? What's the, the recent thing that he's been speaking to you that you desperately need to know and learn? And you ought to be able to, if I sat down with you, you ought to be able to say, hey, this is what he's saying to me. And maybe even verified. You think this is what he's saying to me? Yeah, I think probably that's, that's what he's saying. It's consistent with what the Bible teaches. And yeah, there's no doubt about it. God's speaking to you. He's working in your life. And so you need, you need to have that. So trusting him because he is solidly reliable. I love what uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says. I rest my faith on him alone who died for my transgressions to atone. Atonement, at one, that brings us into relationship with God. 
You're familiar with this uh, line from uh, another hymn that we sing here. I dare not trust my, my sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So trusting him because he is solidly reliable. Here's the next one. Loving him because he is supremely desirable. Loving him because he is supremely desirable. There is this, uh, not just a mutual giving and receiving of truth, but there's also a mutual giving and receiving of love. Why do we love him? Why do we love him? Anybody? Because he first loved us, absolutely. 1 John 4, 19. And it also tells us in Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, you want to pray a, a wonderful prayer is found there in the third chapter of Ephesians where it talks about being rooted and established in his love and, and to know the height, the depth, the width, the length, of his love, and it just goes through this, and it says his love's beyond our comprehension. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 talks about, Paul says, it's the love of Christ that constrains me and drives me and pushes me. So here's my question for you. How do you receive his love? How do you receive his love? Um, because, because he could be giving his love to you and it could be bouncing off of you like a bullet on rock. I can't help but think that oftentimes we're not really receiving his love. We're not really, don't even know how to do that, how to embrace his love. Here's uh, one of the ways that I receive it is that I contemplate it, I think about it, I reflect on it, I spend time in prayer, and I just meditate on how much he loves me and what he's done for me. We're gonna get a chance to do that uh, later on today through communion. We're just, it's just a time of reflection of like, oh my goodness, you love me this much? And, and so as I reflect on that, it begins to get a hold of my heart that's why we're doing this night uh, called Linger, um, May 21st, Wednesday night, 6.30 to 8. Uh, the theme is teach us to pray. I mean, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to learn how can I just soak up his love? How can I just absorb his love? How do I get his love? Just, it's not just a concept, but it's a reality deep within my heart. How do I do that? And, and it takes some time. We've got to learn how to do that. Um, when you linger... When you linger in the sacrificial love of God for you, it will produce a love for God in you that is unspeakable and glorious in its joy. It's just, uh, so, so if you don't have much love for God right now, you know what the cure for that is? It's to linger in his love for you. you just, because the reality of his love, you just don't realize it. And so it takes some time just to, to let it go deep into your heart. So there's, there's things that you got to do. You just got to, that's what worship is about. That's why we study God's word. My wife and I, we've been studying, and I've been, we, when we go out for walks, you know, I'll recite different verses, and it's just, it's just amazing. Uh, we just are enjoying as we eat and feast from his word, just being reminded those words just aren't words on a page. They, be, they come alive through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit as we reflect on them and meditate on them. But here's another way also is that we've got to recognize the ways that we're denying, denying his love and then repent of it. So how do you know that you're denying his love? So that certainly you reflect on his love, you linger and you think and, and you worship, but there's, there's ways of, that you're denying his love. And you need to know when you're denying his love. How do you know that you're denying his love? When you can't handle criticism, you're defensive, you worry, you're anxious, you're bitter, you're cynical, you're feeling hopeless. Look at your attitude. Look at the inordinate emotions sometimes that come down and harass us and haunt us and hammer us and take over our lives. 
And typically those are secondary to some kind of a response, something that's happening in our life that's kind of knocked us sideways. We're being swept out, so to speak, with that undercurrent on the, in the ocean of, of life, being drug away from the shoreline of, of God's love, so to speak. And so what, what I do oftentimes when I find my response is inconsistent, I mean, I was thinking about it this last week, that I just kind of had a general bad attitude. I was just kind of ticked off, and I was just kind of short with my wife, and then I kind of recognized it. And uh, I began to think, why am I so ticked off? What in the world is going on here? And I began to look at the circumstances of my life, what I was being frustrated over, and I began to ask myself this question. This is how you begin to work it down deep into your heart. How would a person who knows that they are magnificently loved by the God of the galaxies, the creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth, how would that, kind, that person actually respond to the circumstances that I'm currently facing? Certainly different than how I'm responding to them. And so I began to work that deep into my heart. And I began to ask myself those kind of questions. Why am I so stressed out? Why would I let what this person has said to me so affect me when, when God once and for all has said what he has said about me through the cross and how much he loves me? I'm obviously not living in the reality of what he says about me, and this is more important to me than what he has said about me. And so you kind of, you work that deep into your, into your heart and... Uh, and that's how you begin to, begin to receive his love. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. In fact, next week I'm going to talk more about that, how to really drive the grace of God deeper into our lives. But here's, uh, so here's another question. So how do I know that I really love him? I mean, love is more than words, and it's important to, to speak words to him. I mean, do you take out time? So in this giving and receiving of truth and in love, do you take out time and say, just in the quietness of your heart between you and God, you say, God, I love you. God, I adore you. In fact, your prayer time should be made up more of that love than, than your list. And then you'll notice that the list aren't near as important when you have that love, when you know him and you know the God, the God of all creation. So how do you know? It's certainly going to be in words, but also in actions. So here's the next point you know. It's love always wants to spend as much time as it can with the object of its love. Mark 135, Luke 4, 42. Um, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That's what it says. Psalm 84, verses 1 and 2, and also verse 10. You guys familiar with Psalm 84? It's a wonderful psalm. Uh, it goes like this. You guys, if you've, if you've ever memorized it, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul longs, my, my soul faints for the courts of the Lord. Oh, oh, how I long to spend time with you. How many are familiar with that text? Because there's been songs written about it. And then you're familiar with verse 10, I'm sure, because we've, we used to sing a song like this. Maybe you still do, but it's better is one day in your courts than what? Than a thousand elsewhere. I love going to San Diego, but a thousand days in San Diego, I'll take that, especially in, in August here. But he's saying a thousand days in San Diego doesn't even come close to one, one day in my presence. That's what he's saying. Do you know his presence like that? Do you long for his presence? Because you see, uh, people who love Christ don't have to drag themselves to church or force themselves to read the Bible or pray or, or force themselves, oh, I gotta go to small group. Oh, those people are such a pain. It's like, you know, if you love the Lord, it's just like, I can't wait. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. 
And I know people that just have that kind of take it or leave it kind of an attitude when it comes to church. And maybe you've been hurt or offended or maybe you don't understand the value of church. But let me tell you something. Church is going to be really, really important to you, hanging out with other Christians when you love God. And here's the next one. Love always anticipates the person's desires wanting to please them. John 14, 15, it says, if you love me, you will obey me. In the context of abiding, this intimacy with God, chapter 15 of John, he says that also, to, to know him is to love him and to love him is to obey him. And then in 1 John 5, 3, it says that his commandments aren't burdensome. In fact, you get the idea that they're a delight. I love to obey God. It's just a, it's a great way to live. And I was thinking, as it relates to this whole idea of showing love, what came to mind on this uh, Mom's Day, Mother's Day, is, uh, is just uh, how often I have seen this. I've seen this with my mom. I've seen this with uh, my wife and my mother-in-law and my, now my kids. It's just amazing. But a mom caring for an ill infant can be up all night, all day, all night for several days in a row and maybe even for weeks. And she doesn't, she doesn't draw attention to herself as being uh, wonderful or self-sacrificing. She wouldn't do that. Because she's not, she's not aware of sacrificing anything. And if you praised her and you comment on her great sacrifice, she won't even know what you're talking about. Sacrifice? Are you kidding? My little sweet infant is sick, and I would, in a heartbeat, I would take his or her place. That's the love of a, of a mom. And uh, it's her love compels her to give. She knows that he's, he or she is desperately ill and is doing everything she can to love him and to take care of him. Got a video clip. It's about one minute. And it's, uh, I saw it this last week. I think it helps, to, helps us to understand this a little more clearly. It's, a, it's an ad, sorry, for mutual fund or something like that. And, uh, but it, it depicts this really well. Check this out. Everyone in the NICU, all the nurses wanted to watch him when he was there 118 days. Everything that you thought was important to you changes in light of having a child that needs you every moment. I wouldn't trade him for the world. There you go. It's good, huh? Isn't that a mom? A great mom. But let me just tell you something about a great mom. A mom, a great mom, a good mom, a gracious mom is only a dim glimpse of the heart your heavenly father has for you. And the more you begin to see that, oh my goodness, your heart is drawn to him. You begin to realize, wow, he, she's just representing him. And uh, in fact, it's his commitment, it's the commitment of God to us that produces a commitment to God from us. If you're not committed to God, it's because you don't understand how committed he is to you. He loves you. He cares for you. And so, 
A genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ involves trusting him because he is solidly reliable, loving him because he is supremely desirable. And here's the last. This is where we'll wrap it up, and then we're going to take communion in just a few moments. Enjoying him because he is infinitely and eternally pleasurable. I gave you a bunch of verses here. Let me just run through them very quickly. I won't uh, recite them all, but Matthew 13, 44 is a, is a really favorite verse of mine. It's uh, really my life verse, and it talks about a man who's in a field, and he finds this treasure... I don't know why he's in a field, but this treasure so overwhelms him with joy. In his joy, he goes home and he sells all that he has so that he can purchase the field and have the treasure. In essence, it's just saying, hey, this is what the kingdom of God is all about. This is what it means to have a relationship with God. Having a relationship with God is a magnificent obsession with a heavenly treasure beside which everything else in life is of no value. You're willing to sell it, get rid of it. You don't want anything to interfere with this relationship with God. Matthew 15, 11 talks about this joy that's in this intimate relationship with God. Psalm 16.4 talks about when we begin to pursue other things as our highest joy, it's going to end in sorrow, but, uh, but in his presence is fullness of joy at his right hand are pleasures evermore, Psalm 16.11. Psalm 43.4 describes God as our exceeding joy. John 16.22 says that this is uh, the substance of this joy, that you can't ever lose it. No one can take this joy away from you. And, uh, and then in Philippians 4.4, 4, it talks about how we can continue to stir up that joy. It says to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice and how we need to nurture that. Here's some thoughts as it relates to uh, Christian hedonism. Here's the first one. Belonging to be happy is a universal human desire that should not be denied but pursued and nurtured with whatever provides the deepest and most enduring pleasure. We all want to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, is where we pursue it. Here's the next point in your notes. The deepest and most enduring pleasure is found only in God, not from God, but in God. Our tendency is to exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve created things more than the creator. It's Romans 1.25. And, uh, and so it's only in him. Did you notice the words that it's used there? Inexpressible. No words can fully express it. Filled with glory, nothing can compare with it. So my question for you is that, is that how you would describe your relationship with God? Would you say, I can't even put it into words. I, I, yeah, it's, oh, I don't know what to say. It's nothing like anything I've ever experienced. See, that's the Christian life. And so we, we tend to live way below that. Just shows you our depravity, our sinful nature. It shows you the world that we're up against, the values of this world. It shows you that you have an adversary that's gunning for you to keep you from that joy, that inexpressible and glorious joy that only can be found in him. This year, Nancy and I are going to be celebrating uh, 37, which is, man, that's a long time, but it's a, it's a, I, I can remember, yes, I can still remember our wedding day very vividly. And, uh, and I remember when I was standing there at the altar, so to speak, and we were giving and receiving vows, and I just want you to know that I wasn't, when I was looking into her eyes, I wasn't thinking these thoughts like, man, I'm going to now have to give her more of my time. I wasn't thinking, I'm going to have to start sharing my paycheck with her. I wasn't thinking, I'm not going to be able to date ever, ever again. And you're probably thinking, thank God you weren't thinking those thoughts. If you were thinking those thoughts, you're messed up. And why was I not thinking those thoughts? 
because the joy of what I was gaining in her made all that I was losing as insignificant completely and totally. That is even more so true with God. The joy of what you gain in Christ makes the sacrifice of what you lose to follow him as insignificant. If it's been a while since you've experienced that joy, I'm actually going to be teaching a class here starting in June on Tuesday nights here from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. We're going to work our way, have a very lively discussion on this book. Last year, we talked about Desiring God. We went through his book, and this is even a better book than what we discussed last year, and that was a good book. But when I don't desire God, how to fight for joy? I think we don't know how to do that. And so we're going to be hanging out first of June. It's about a month away, Tuesday nights, right here on the campus. So you can sign up. I'd love to have you in the class. Here's our last point, and then we're going to take communion. Nothing, not even suffering, can rob you of this joy except idolatry. Whatever you find most pleasure in is your God. All I'm trying to say is that Okay, you get excited about your favorite football team or your, you got a nice boat or a nice car or a nice home or whatever. That, that's, that's cool. I love that. But that is a dim glimpse of the satisfaction you can find in God. Let that draw your heart ultimately to him because only he can give you a satisfaction that exceeds the temporal because he is so amazingly eternal and infinite in all that he is and does. The reason for your existence is to glorify God by enjoying him forever, and you enjoy him forever through a relationship of mutual sharing of truth and love. Nothing quite like that. Those of you that are going to be uh, passing out communion, find your way in the back, and I want for those of us to kind of prepare our hearts for communion this morning. We're going to be passing out the trays in, in just a minute, and if you're not a believer, just let it pass by. You can become a believer this morning by acknowledging your sin that separates you from God. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. Confess him as Savior. And remember, you're not going through the motions. You want a relationship with God. That's what you're saying. I want a relationship with God, and I know that it only comes to me through Jesus Christ. And so you do that. And feel free to take communion with us. When they pass out the trays, just hang on to the elements. They'll be double cupped, and just hang on to them, and I'll walk us through the process. But what I want us to do right now is just focus on this verse, Hebrews 12.2. I put it on the bottom of your notes there. It says, looking to Jesus the author and the, and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising, despising the shame. So here's the interesting thing about that verse is it's saying that Jesus went to the cross, he endured the cross, and even scorned its shame. He just said, no big deal because of the joy that was set before him. My question for you is, what is the joy? What was the joy? Or who is the joy that was set before him? Us. Us. You were the joy set before him. I want you to think about that. You. You were the joy set before him, and he endured the cross. He says, No big deal. No big deal, because what I get in having you. See, the joy set before him to endure the cross and despise its shame was the idea that you and I would be in his arms for all eternity showering us with love and delight. And see, the more that truth goes from your head, from your head to your heart, that, that, that we are his joy, then he becomes our joy. So, so, so if he's not your joy, you, you gotta work it down in your heart. You gotta say, wait, 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 I was your joy? Lord, let that not just be a concept, let it be a reality in my life. The joy of what you gain in Christ, being his joy, makes, makes the sacrifice of what you lose to follow him is totally insignificant. You want him more than anything.
You will never go further for Jesus than what he has gone for you. You will never give up more for Jesus than what he's given up for you. You will never, ever love Jesus more than he loves you. And that's the next week. Take on three more verses. Oh, these next, uh, next three verses are wonderful because at the end of these verses, he talks about verses 10 through 12. He says that, talks about the gospel and he says that the, the angels just long to look into the gospel. Angels are pretty brilliant beings, and if they long to look in the gospel, the word look actually means they're obsessed with it. He's giving us a little bit of a clue of how we can get the gospel deeper into our hearts so it really revolutionizes our life. So that's what we're heading into next week. Thank you for being here this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. You are amazing. God, I am overwhelmed with your presence here this morning that we can have a genuine relationship with you, Father, through the personal work of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and trusting him. We can trust him because he is solidly reliable. We can love him because he is supremely desirable, and we can enjoy him because he is infinitely and eternally pleasurable. Lord God, you are most glorified in us, and we're most satisfied in you. Teach us what that means each and every day to find our deepest satisfaction in you. May we fight for that joy in you for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you.